0: And when he told me I had 28 days to live, it took just those two people to see me and see my need. And I said, you know what? I, I want to get better. Like, I had never felt seen by people that looked at what I was going through and said, you have value in some way to us. And we want you to live. We want you to have the life that you want. I had never felt that my entire life you
1: to the life after i'm chuck parson
2: do you press r and it records yeah that's That's cool i thought it was like a space bar thing i'm brady harden this is the life after
1: (laughs) (laughs) two two, almost two complete seasons and brady is just discovering how the what uh, other letters the hot keys work Mm, oh man i mean this one cuts segments this one goes back to the beginning that is Uh, one yeah we got a lot of one hot key so many
2: Hey Chuck, uh, today is going to be a day that we talk about some probably triggering. I like things to call them sexy people. keys. <laughs> some hot keys.
3: Okay, sorry, <laughs> right. we're talking so about we're,
2: yeah, some like some difficult things. We're talking about mental health. We're talking about um, disorders of eating. We're talking about a lot of stuff and
1: Tr- some trauma. What I is important... it? Uh, there's always trauma. <laughs>
2: And like a big thing that's important on our show is we like to talk about mental health, licensed therapy, what's in, like how to take care of ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. What is your what what I've been noticing in my life right now, um, kind of a trigger that's in my life. Uh, when I say trigger, I mean like an inciting incident that creates a pattern. Yeah. Right. Is, uh, you know, I recently I, I take medicine for ADD. Yes, And I realized that I usually take half a pill when Brady takes a full pill. I noticed there's a pattern of bad mental health days. Bad,
1: Rough mental health day for, <laughs> for Brady. Right. Not so great for Brady. Um, there are some pretty tangible examples of that, like maybe floating around Twitter. If you looked, I don't know what you're talking about. But we won't about. get into it. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, that's a, that's a, that is a symptom uh, common of uh, people that have PTSD and take ADD medicine. Mm. Um well it's it's common for PTSD anyway but it's called hyper hyperfixation yes where you you latch on to a trigger or a, a or source a, of a problem or something a feeling
2: that feeling and it repeats and repeats
1: and repeats. and it repeats, repeats and repeats ad infinitum
2: And, you know, when you you... get into a situation that's like an echo chamber, it's not just hearing the message, but also hearing the echo back. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. sign of like you have a feeling and if you're kind of fixated on it, it's going to create kind of an echo with other feelings bouncing off other issues that you have encountered throughout your life and kind of brings those sound waves closer and faster and more Mm -hmm. frequent. Mm -hmm. So. All that to say, that's one of the things that I've noticed. Oh, Brady, whenever you have a bad mental health day, here's the things to kind of instigate that. Uh, and try, you know, and that's not my only like thing that puts me into weird stuff. Like sure. other things do too. And so Tons part of, of that things. is learning, learning what those are and changing, fixing.
1: Right, right. Uh, uh, it, like learning your triggers is like probably one of the hardest and most important things that you can do as a traumatized person. Right. Mm. Which is really important for a lot of our listeners, you know. Absolutely. What, um, and it, it takes time to start to to take to be able to take a step back and say, like, "Oh, I was like really kind of irrationally like reacted to the, this thing, mm. right? You mm-hmm. know, like whether it's you know like seeing Joel Osteen on TV or like you know think churchy things that trigger people, or if you you know if you've had a, a trauma that's related to something else like sexual assault or Or, you know, I don't
2: know. Well, in the days that I've had really bad mental health days, it's not just, oh, taking take at all. But it's also, you know, there's been times that I've had to encounter uh, some of the big prejudices that happen against gay people with homosexuality. We've learned, uh, you know, recently with the Bethel Redding, where they are uh, trying to be pro-conversion therapy now. Uh, I tried to get on there. And then some guy, like, tried to compare my my gayness to pedophilia Mm
3: -hmm. and
2: went to the whole, like, oh, my God, it's a consent thing. What is wrong with you? but realizing that there's nothing that I can do inside of a dogmatic situation. Um, and when you're there, you have to realize, Hey, this is not a situation that's going to be helpful for me. So my mental health is boundlessly more important than your shitty dogma. Uh So you have to take the steps necessary to protect yourself. um, but all that to say that, you know, it's not just one thing that can do. It's, it's, it's always a kind of a perfect storm of things. And learning what your perfect storm looks like and to be able to decode that and be careful with it, um, I think is always important. I, I think recently uh, Chelsea Handler is a comedian that I absolutely adore who's always been a big pain in the ass. But recently she, God bless her, she went through therapy and like worked so much shit out. And she's been open about it in her last book and on her podcast. And she talks about kind of an acronym that she works with her therapist. and That is I am. Which I understand the irony of. This right, 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 yeah. Trigger, trigger
1: warning. <laughs> this acronym is this a acronym trigger warning. For the, and, and <laughs> but that makes bu- it easy to remember.
2: <laughs> the burning bush said, um, "But with I am, oh, it oof. is that you identify what you are, how your life is, how you respond to things, what your triggers are. You identify those, which your inciting incidences are, and then secondly, as you analyze that, you understand why you are." your body, your mind works that way. Um, Show yourself some compassion. One of the things that triggers me a lot is loneliness. And then I feel more lonely and lonely, lonely, lonely. It could be like a stupid thing that puts me off. And then um, a friend of mine helped me remember, hey, Brady, all you're doing is craving intimacy, Mm. give yourself some credit, right? So you analyze it. Part of analyzing is to kind of let yourself off the hook for having a feeling because, Hey, fun X fundamentalist. You're allowed to have feelings now. Yeah. Um, And then finally, the last part of I am is you, 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 you modify, you modify your behavior. So if you know, Hey, if I go into this situation and it's going to be bad for my mental health, I'm going to modify my behavior. So I don't put myself in that position. Mm. And it's not a dogmatic thing. Like we would with like accountability partners, but it's more of like based on knowing, hey, I know that this is going to be bad for me, so I don't want to put myself into it. Not to put yourself into a shame cycle, but to prevent yourself from being into a shame cycle. Right.
1: That's a, bit, that's a really important distinction for former Christians is like <laughs> acknowledge, like the difference between acknowledging something for the sake of improving it and acknowledging something for the sake of feeling bad about it. Oh, fuck. Right? Yeah, yeah. Speak on that. That's yeah, damn it's good. It's like, uh, yeah. I mean, our our default is dif- is when we mess up to feel shame about it right mm. because we were programmed to be like we are broken you shame know shame robots right shame shame bots yeah right <laughs> so it, like that transition and it's so hard and it's a, it's a mental feat really but it's important and it it and it takes time but you get to this point where when you mess up you're not like oh i'm the worst you mm. know you're like oh i could have done that differently you know <laughs> Speaking of shame, I mean, like it's a lifelong battle, of course, but like it gets easier and easier. I guess is what I'm saying.
2: Speaking of shame bots, I think I had to put them on my spam list this week.
1: Shame bot. I had to call my credit card company because the shame bot was charging (laughs) me 14.99 a month for access to. Videos. Dead. Uh, I'm just kidding.
2: So that to say, I <laughs> recommend Chelsea Handler's book. Uh, life will be the death of me and you, too. Um, really practical, good advice. She even goes into the anagram, but like mm. in a way that's not at all like connected to Christianity. In a way that's just like the way tarot cards are helpful, and the way that like horoscopes can be helpful for people sure. is that you're you're taking a thing and you're reflecting on it, it's causing you to look back at your life and right. having kind of self-empathy and self-reflection mm. that normally wouldn't be there unless you had a tool to put yourself in that position. So. I love it. I think it's great. This, oh, go ahead. Not to put them in the same category either cuz one is prescription and the other one is, you know, what ah, I mean, basically. Okay, go
1: ahead. Uh I was just going to add to that like um I mean, a big part of my own like mental health journey has been just developing habits that fortify my stability, right? Oh, I like that. Rather that uh so that in, when I'm in situations that are triggering or when i'm in situations that tend to be like difficult or discouraging for Mm. me i have like something to fall back onto right so you know simple things like exercise meditation um you know uh not like i'm a big big time screen addict like hardcore screen addict, so so bad so bad and just, like, putting down my phone and just, like, looking at anything that's not a screen for a while. Sometimes I sit on my back porch and just, like, I look out. Thing. I
2: take walks for like the Like, leave my time.
1: phone inside and yeah. just sit there and, like, look at the world, you know? But when you're <laughs> Or wearing, read a book, you when know? You're,
2: when you're wearing glasses and we talk to each other, I can look at your eyes and make it feel like I'm watching my phone. Cute, cute friends, yeah. by the way. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, you what know, all that to say today, way. we wanted to kind of just give a little primer on like, hey, what's some practical health, you know, mental health sh- stuff that you could do? Uh, You know, awesome, calm, do some medical, you know, like some mindful, like. Med- guided meditation and stuff like that's really mm-hmm. helpful for you but we want to do all that because we know that this is going to be an episode where we're talking about some heavy shit that we need to hear and that we need to be prepared for and that we probably need to work through a little bit if that means that you pause this episode and you come back to it at a different time you do it but i want us to have this conversation because it's so fucking important
1: yeah so yeah, fucking yeah, important yeah, for sure
2: with that said we have Can our guest
1: can you wait, before we introduce mm. our guests, can you can you go over EM one more time? <laughs> That's the non-triggering version of I am.
2: (laughs) I was like, what is he talking about? I am. I am. As in palladium. Identify. That means identify your behavior, identify what's going to go on, analyze, figure it out, do a little study, figure out why you might be doing that, and M, modify your behavior so that you know better and that you continue to learn from your mistakes. So that's the other thing. Progression is about learning what you have, sensing what's around you, learning from it, and then moving on. That's evolution. That's evolution.
1: Evolution, right there, That's baby. evolution. Yeah.
2: And now that we can do that in our mind, we could do it as fast as we want. We don't have to wait millions of years.
1: I don't, or even, 6, you, don't need a, you don't need a <laughs> moonstone to evolve.
2: <laughs> I want to welcome our guest, Laura.
1: <laughs> you need a thunderstorm. Laura, did
2: you just pick up on that Pokemon reference? This is the shit that I have to deal with.
0: Very slightly. Very slightly. <laughs> but- this is the shit
2: well, I don't deal with. Yeah, because like, okay, it's there's Eevee, and then, you know, with Eevee, you've got like six different options now. With yeah, there's so a-
1: many fucking EVs now. I don't know, dude. I'm am a I'm an OG 150 guy, you know?
0: I okay. mean, is Charizard, is that a Pokemon? He's, yeah,
1: Charizard's oh, going. Oh, but good. But now he's okay. got yeah. it.
2: He's got like other versions. He's got
1: like, yeah, maximum Charizard or whatever. I don't know. Oh,
0: I need to catch up with this. I don't okay. I
1: don't think it's too much work, frankly. Oh, <laughs> there's like don't. a thousand I won't. Pokemon though. And not they like, you can like breed this, them and like, there's, yeah, I don't know. It's very complicated.
2: Laura, wow. we need to go to commercial in a second, but can you give us just a quick. Teaser of what we have to look forward to when we have a wonderful conversation with you.
0: <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I am going to be sharing a lot about my journey um, in and out of the church, and as someone that uh, is still recovering from anorexia and coming from a home where. Silence was truly golden, and that's mm. that's really what um, I was raised to think was that my silence was my value, and to oh. open up and be honest, and be real, and to vocalize needs and a voice was um, was not a safe space. So
2: Jesus
1: Christ, if Killing you don't it. come
2: back after we don't even these need commercials, the you're now. you're an idiot. Me? No, I'm saying if you don't come uh, back oh, after if you don't this. Come back. Well, that in our commercials are I, pretty What, good, if, if, what if I didn't
1: come back after the commercial?
2: You're an idiot. I just said it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. We'll be right back with our guest, Laura, right after this. Oh, hello there, Chuck. <laughs> I didn't see you there. How are you? Hmm?
1: Good. Just uh, editing the episode. What's up?
2: <laughs> What's up? Oh, you commoner and your common talk. I guess I'm what you would say <laughs> doing not much. <laughs> what is this? Chuck, pst. Chuck, it's me, your pal, Brady. I'm practicing patronizing, so I'm working on being more condescending to people. <laughs> oh, do you have any idea my Matt can get some crumpets around here? <laughs> uh,
1: oh, wh- why are you doing this?
2: You know, for our Patreon. We've been asking people to patronize our page, and I didn't want to ask them to do something I wasn't willing to do it myself, so I figured I would get some practice in.
1: Oh, God. Brady, no. That's, huh? that's what? not what it means. Oh, no? Listen. Listeners can go to our Patreon page. Pick the level you want to contribute. Uh, Each level has special rewards. Okay. Like exclusive Life After minisodes.
2: Or not Safe for Work bloopers?
1: uh, Or like a monthly collection of deconstruction memes.
2: And even personal
1: consultations
2: or meet up with your favorite host, Chuck and Brady?
1: Yeah. Brady. Patreon.com slash the (laughs) Life After.
2: I guess even you could find it.
4: in the church that I grew up in, um, a lot of the men were fairly overweight, um, but the women were really, really thin. And it was very clear that your job as a woman was to be attractive to your husband. Um, you needed to stay thin and skinny and, there were a lot of other things that kind of went along with that but the primary thing that I took away from it is that you were meant to be small you're meant to be small and quiet and attractive and um growing up my mom had a lot of particular eating disorder issues that she would channel into just like dietary advice or diets and I remember even as a nine-year-old child um Writing down everything that I had to eat that day and it's because I was watching my parents and and my mom um, Trying to stay small um, Eventually this spilled over to my dad and she started encouraging him to go on diets as well because he was pretty overweight And so things like slim fast became a staple in our home You know like slim fast bars and shakes and then Atkins became a thing in our home And then different variations of low-carb diets became a thing in our home uh, and that gave way to all sorts of different dieting behavior. And so every couple of years there was a new type of diet that was introduced into our family. And the emphasis was never really on health. Like I don't remember learning anything about health growing up. What I remember is the emphasis on appearance, which I think is a pretty common church theme, um, appearing good. Um, and for women, especially appearing small and subservient and attractive and, um, That impacted me for a really long time, and all of my siblings are struggling with different eating disorder issues now as a result.
2: Welcome back. Uh, What commercial did I just listen to?
1: Uh, The Patreon one. Okay.
2: (laughs) Did you just pull that out of your ass? Yeah. All right. You better be real. I know. don't
1: fucking know, dude. I haven't decided yet. Okay. Well, welcome Probably back. Probably the one I haven't finished producing yet.
2: <laughs> that was good. Because
1: it, it it has all kinds of sounds in it. Elephants. <laughs> it's elephants and fucking. As the, I was like, as a writing,
2: I was like. Oh, a marching Chuck
1: band. To, <laughs> Chuck to come up with this.
2: <laughs> welcome back. This is Brady Harden. And with me is Chuck and Laura. Um, Laura.
5: Yeah. Hi, hey, Laura. Hello.
2: Okay. Um, can you introduce us to your the beginning of your life, to your your childhood to who's Laura?
0: Yeah. So I oh. grew up in Kansas City, and um, I am from a family with a lot of kids. I have five brothers. I have four brothers and a sister, but growing up originally, I had three brothers. And we were all homeschooled and lived in an area of Kansas called Stillwell, which is like, um, it's like right on the state line of Missouri. So mm-hmm. we all had like this, I used to call it like a, it felt like we had like a TV show family where yeah. you had roles that you played and it was like you were on a set. So if you stayed within these parameters of obedience and agreeing to what was being shared with you and taught to you, um, you're going to do fine. Mm. But there wasn't really like a reality of um, having different ideas or like opposing ideas or coming up with like questions about what are we learning either in school or in church. Um, But I was raised in church. I think my parents bounced around from like Presbyterian churches to a church that labeled itself as evangelical free, and oh, then E-free, yeah, yeah, e free. That's exactly it. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, eventually going back to Presbyterian churches. But um,
2: you know, I liked what you said about the TV show thing. You know, mm-hmm. that kind of cloaked with me. I thought of like Full House, where you always expect Danny Tanner to be into cleaning. You know, yeah. Joey's always like <laughs> had murscaring somewhere. You know, and <laughs> Becky's yes. always like trying to get her kids into some nights college what was your role yeah. what would your like i guess like tagline or what do you call that um what, what do you when you have it when you're on a tv show and you've got like a line that you always say
1: it's uh catchphrase catchphrase yeah oh
0: it was like yeah so like what was my
2: catchphrase, like, was your yeah, catchphrase? My... <laughs> or like what was your like um your character like you in, said inside the same the things show?
1: over and over a lot right oh <laughs> my
0: god yeah just like all the time like popping out of the pantry and being like yes <laughs> I'm <love what> <laughs> yes queen
1: popping <laughs> out of the pantry <laughs> yeah that's great i love it
0: um you know, that's a really good question. I think like to give some context, the T V show that comes to mind is more like Leave It to Beaver mm. or like the Brady Bunch. Okay. So very much like um everyone looks very similar. Everyone has like a very similar train of thought. Mm. And gosh, I don't know if I would even have like a tagline in my family. I was pretty quiet, you know, for a while and um kept myself and I mentioned earlier, I think I mentioned earlier that we were homeschooled. Yeah. And with a lot of that, it was more like, have you heard the term unschooled?
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah.
2: <laughs> Chuck <laughs> yeah? was
1: homeschooled. I was homeschooled. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm familiar oh, with you, that. We have yet to, we have yet to like really do a proper takedown of homeschooling on this show. Uh, Cause it's a lot of work because <laughs> it's a weird mm. subculture <laughs> yeah. to tap, you know?
0: I've tried to think of many a smart podcast ideas to talk about homeschooling. Yeah. Because it's, it's wild. Um, right now, hashtag expose,
2: exposing homeschooling yeah. or whatever yeah, thats yeah, is yeah. That, that's been really that's helpful. That's been going around.
1: Yeah, for sure. But it's like such a fractured – the thing about homeschooling is it's like a, such a fractured narrative mm. because yeah. everybody's experience is different. Well, yeah, you know? by design. Like the problems with homeschooling are the inherent problems of the family itself. So. Yes. It's like everybody's traumatic homeschooling experience is different. My yeah. mom's
2: not qualified to teach me about dinosaurs.
1: I mean, right? you know,
6: I mean, yeah,
1: only if she teaches that it's that dinosaurs and people existed at the same time.
2: <laughs> Ken Ham looks like a goat. <laughs> man like okay, but that gives us like a good feel uh, for your family that, you know, everybody was kind of expected to fit into a certain way and to look a certain way. And there's expectations that were there for you. And um, I'm assuming you fell into those expectations. Well,
0: Oh, absolutely not. Like, <laughs> it, it was definitely not. So um kind of like, paralleling the way it was in my house and in my parents' house. And then what it looked like when we went to church was basically, Mm. um, when we were at home, it was pretty isolated. So like my brothers had a different relationship with my parents than I did. Um, and I had a lot of solo time, just like I would be allowed to venture outside of my house and just like walk for miles or, be in my room all day, and I usually painted or, um, I don't know, took apart furniture and put it back together, you know, like really <laughs> exciting, thrilling things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, I was kind of labeled as, um, You guys will probably be really familiar with these. I I think of them as controlling words, like indoctrinating words, like you're selfish or Mm, you're defiant or Mm, you mm. um, are disobedient. So that was my label in my family. You're a nasty Um, woman. Very nasty. Very (laughs) nasty. But it was usually because I would ask my mom questions like um, I watched Oprah at 4 p.m. every day growing up. Oh, I that is like <clears throat> if I believed in any god growing up it was Oprah yeah, because that's, yeah, that's I just good. felt like I was getting this inside scoop about very amazing topics that I mm. had no clue like what these were. Um, but I felt like I had this opportunity to be in the know mm-hmm. and Oprah mm-hmm. was guiding my way. She's guiding um, I love that. But I would talk to my mom about this <clears> stuff and she'd be like, this is absolutely unacceptable. This is like not something you ask about. And so it was completely shut down. If you're inquiring about poverty or um, sexuality mm. and, um, and other things like that. And, uh, but when we would go to church, it was like game time. So I, you know, had to wear the dress, had to put my hair in a certain way. Um, we were kind of given a pep talk before we walked in and then it was like putting on a show, Mm. you know,
1: you were given it. What was the pep? What did the pep talk consist of?
0: It would be pretty much like if I was going to be in like a youth group or a Sunday school setting, like don't bring up
1: abortion or like oh. don't because
2: bring- you're going to so- bring your oprah stuff into class yeah. right. oh my god what a rebel rouser
1: first and of all
0: wild oprah's
1: a pretty oprah's a pretty high bar for god i think you should probably lower that I mean- but <laughs> also i love her so i feel like i feel like i mean what i'm what i'm picking up on is that like gender roles were like super super important like maybe yeah. even unusually important for evangelicals like right
0: yeah oh yeah. 100% and this was like,
1: like not just your family but your church as well
0: definitely and i i it's something that i was thinking about was i um if i could go back as an adult and go witness like what was actually happening in the church that my parents brought us to i'm curious if a lot of the shit and the trauma that really impacted me the most was what happened at home under the guise of it being because God said so or because mm, this is what yeah. Christians do. Yeah. And so when you're getting fed like um, you know, you have to wear a dress because it's 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 what's right, it's what's, mm. what's respectful. But then going home and like the messaging being like um completely demeaning, like if you if I didn't want to wear a dress or if I talked back to somebody or didn't give someone a hug, like it was a, it was a big, it's basically like, I feel like there, like I said, a show was supposed to be maintained. And if you don't play a role, it's a shame to the
3: family, you know. I've been in
2: relationships like that, and it feels like you're constantly being graded after every yeah. social interaction. Mm-hmm. And I'm not. Oh the, yeah. I'm not the
1: best no. at social interactions.
0: Me neither. So,
1: no. uh, so let's talk a little bit about like what was because I feel like we've we have talked about this on the show, but maybe not explicitly. Like, like what were the expectations for women? And and how were women treated differently in your church community and then subsequently in your family? Because you 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 also talk about how your brothers had a very different relationship with your parents.
0: Yeah, I think, um, gosh, it's like that's really heavy. I feel like that's something that I don't really have a lot of opportunity to talk to people about, especially women. Like Mm -hmm. I found myself really finding the people that I connect with on this side of things that have – left the church or don't don't follow the same type of fundamentalist beliefs as they once did are male Mm -hmm. and um and i can't imagine like um talking about this stuff with women because Mm. i feel like there's kind of in in where i live i live in texas and um in the circles that i'm around it's still just not a very widely discussed thing um if yeah. you don't believe so but to answer your question in the church that I went to women were offered like a couple roles and um and <laughs> I almost made the worst joke in the world oh,
3: no. I almost
0: said one was the yeast roll and one was like a rye roll and like <laughs> so <laughs> stupid cut that
3: don't no, we're
1: no, that's, no that's that's staying. going in that's staying in for sure
0: <laughs> oh man but um so basically <laughs> you had two roles, you could be a mom, <laughs> you could be a bride mm.
3: uh-huh.
0: and it, like both of those needed to be under this guise of uh, like complacency.
3: And, mm. and
0: essentially like what I got from it was silence. So like, mm. um, you ultimately need to be perfect and not, um, what is that term? Like, do you remember that term, like not causing a guy to stumble?
3: Okay, oh, God.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh. So, like, you were policed with your clothing. Modest. And what'd you say?
1: Modest. Modesty. Yeah.
0: Modesty,
1: yes. <laughs> it, you
5: know,
0: and it, there were so many talks uh, in youth group and in Sunday school where it was like, you know, really taking into consideration how you're perceived with what you wear mm. and how that can affect, um, a uh, boy's walk with Christ. Jesus and, it, you know, um, I don't know. I, I feel like I was calling myself a feminist since I was 10 years old, and that uh-huh. didn't really jive well with this type of uh, uh, boundary-making for mm-hmm. for women. But um, But at home, it was... My role was very much that to be like a copy of my mom. So instead of playing outside, it was like, we're cleaning now. We're cooking now. Mm. Have you gotten the lawn? You know, like, and chores are awesome. But this was beyond that because my brothers didn't do that. And they were never asked to do that. It was more like, I'm going to make the lunches for them the next school day. I drove my brothers to school and, um, I think the biggest difference was that I did not come home to a place where I was welcome to be a child with needs.
2: Yes. Right. Right.
0: It was like you, you have a role to play and essentially it kind of felt like I was trying to, or I was being trained to kind of be acceptable enough to be someone that someone would want to marry.
1: Oh yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. Whatever the <laughs> fuck that means. Right. Like as if I, people don't have different tastes and, in- and romantic partners or something, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, but it was such like a non-discussed item. Uh, like in the church that my parents went to, it was there were I mean very few factors that played into you being desirable as a, as mm-hmm. a bride, you know. So
2: it, what you're saying about homeschooling, though, of you're not able to get away from this indoctrination, it reminded me of like what Tim talked about in season one in the indoctrination episode about that's kind of like a double whammy, and it's just kind of you're trapped
3: can't yeah. go anywhere
2: that indoctrination that attitude mm-hmm. uh, is going to be there like everywhere you look
1: the thing that the, the a couple of things came to mind while you were while you were saying that and i want to hopefully unpack both of them but like the the word i was thinking of when you were describing you, the role that you were allowed to have was independence or like whatever the opposite of independence is Dependence. Right. Well, it's not dependence in this case. Okay. Because it's like what I mean is she was not oh, encouraged yeah. to like m- carve her own path in any way okay. whereas like men were, right? I mean 100%. like 100%. Yeah. yeah. And it just it seems like independence is like a, a, an inherent human need. Right. right? Okay. Mm-hmm. That is like your ability to create your own like to as you grow up and, you know, when you, you're 10 years old and you're calling yourself a feminist, like, that was you, like, desperately trying to make room for yourself to be the person you want to be, right? And that right. just continues as you get older and older and as you are able to perceive things on your own that you have to repress more and more and more and more of yourself in order to fit the role, in order to strip yourself of your independence or be stripped of your independence, right? Well, repression works sometimes. Yeah. Repression doesn't. It never works. I know. I'm just kidding. <laughs> repression doesn't work. I don't know if work. I've said that before on the show. You've said it a couple of times.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: repression doesn't. <laughs> repression doesn't work.
0: Oh my gosh. Um. Yeah.
1: But the other thing that you you mentioned needs mm-hmm. right, and this is like you man. I was like listening to your answers to your questionnaire, and I had to like pause it and like think about it for a minute because, the like you were talking about how if if you had a need that was different than what your family was inherently providing God. for you if it was outside of the predetermined mm. needs that you were supposed to have quote unquote mm. right right it was interpreted as defiance right mm-hmm. God, I fucking I fucking relate to that so hard. Like that was like I need to call up my therapist and like set up a session just to talk about that, (laughs) because it was it wasn't until I was in my 20s that I recognized myself as someone that was that was like uh, worthy of needs or worthy of my needs being met. Right. Because we're, we're taught that you like you're so bad that your needs don't need to be met, right? Like you need to get your shit together first so that your needs can be met as like a luxury. Oh my god it's it's inherent to the word needs that they are needs and needs are different for everybody, right?
0: Exactly. Basically like kind of segueing slowly into when I started developing my eating disorder that was something that coming from a past and a childhood and an upbringing where if you asked for something, whether it was help or directions, like directions for like a game or, um, even playing outside and being like, Hey, can someone come like hang out outside with me? Or even like, this is, this is wild to say out loud, but even like asking for more food Mm. and, um, Mm -hmm. Shit. Those are the kind of things like if you've ever looked into the way that children bond to their parents and those basic needs where those those hopefully are established at a very young age where it's like you're responded to when you need something or when you're hungry you're fed and when you're cold you know you are you're made warm again and um and I think with some of that in my own experience and then going into middle school and then into high school, um, not having some of those baseline needs met, you're just, you're not programmed to think that even if you have a need, it will be responded to. Mm
1: -hmm. And so
0: you learn not to ask.
1: Yes. Yes. Absolutely. You learn
6: not to ask. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So what, what you kind of got into it, but like what were some of the needs that you had as an adolescent that were not acknowledged?
0: I think the freedom and the safety to have a voice that didn't match everybody else's, um, Mm, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, the whole concept of being the whole concept of having conditional love, that was, that was the reality that I lived in. So Mm. um, I think, and it took me a long time to process this, but I think one of my big needs was being able to mess up and knowing that I wasn't going to ruin our family.
3: Um, And
0: that was major. Like I was, I was a kid that was extremely cautious when it came to, um, if, if I was hanging out with some friends and they wanted to do something like let's, let's jump on the trampoline and like, let's do backhand springs. I'd be like, whoa, not even trying it, I don't have like the bandwidth of <laughs> like support. If I got yeah. hurt, I don't know what's going to happen yeah. if I go home, I'll probably get punished.
3: Oh, and
2: take that risk,
0: yeah. So, and me, like, just feeling like you had a, a parent that would stand by your side. Um, I was reading something earlier today, I uh, but it was this quote, and it just said, silence is an agreement. Mm, And I think growing up in a family where you are needing so much, and even when you take the risk to vocalize what you need, be it um, compassion or a listening ear or someone safe to help you through something, I feel like if everybody around you is being silent and they aren't vocalizing their needs, for me, it really felt like, wow, I'm a freak because mm. apparently I'm the only person here that needs to talk about why I feel mm. like I'm depressed. Or like, I, when I was 10 years old, I began um, having suicidal ideations and that scared the shit out of me. And to go to a parent and say, hey, I am really nervous and scared about these thoughts and that not to be accepted... Um It's really isolating
1: yeah, you know i I'm thinking about myself as a kid, and I'm thinking about how like i as I got older, especially once I hit like probably twelve or thirteen, mm-hmm. I mean eventually I just cut my parents off entirely, or I just decided no these this is not it's not safe to have vulnerable conversations mm-hmm. with these people, but mm-hmm. up until that point, I would like often test the water, you know, we're like, yeah. so if we were like watching t v And a character was struggling with something. You would feel out how your parents react to that Mm -hmm. character, Mm -hmm. and then you understand whether or not they would have compassion on you for struggling with that thing. I know, right? Yeah. Oh, so much of my my childhood is like revolves around TV. But same. um, (laughs) You just yeah, and you know the thing is like, I've been thinking a lot about like how I have a hard time asking for help recently, and. It's like when you grow up in an environment where you' your fundamental like your are independent, your customized needs aren't met, right? Like you learn to not ask for help. like re- mm. like even when Truly. you're around people that want to help you like even yes. when I'm like in a room with my therapist, you know it's yes. like hard for me yes. to ask for help. Because I learned really early that it's annoying to ask for help or it's, Mm -hmm. or it's, uh, you know, like you said, defiant. It's defiant to ask for help when you have everything you need. What do you mean? Yeah. So much of that is just, like, the difference between, like, I know that both of my parents grew up in poverty. I don't know your your background, but, like, both of my parents grew up, like, on the bottom row of Maslow's hierarchy, right? So it's, like, when we're born into this world and, like, I have, I grew up in a middle-class family and I'm thinking higher up on Maslow's hierarchy, it's, like, who is this kid with these, like, fancy needs? You know what I mean? Like, they're, mm-hmm. like, that's not what it was exactly. like when I was a kid. and And that's something that you know, you kind of have to give your parents a little bit of slack for, but you also have to acknowledge that it was not fair to you. you Right.
0: Right. I think you're, you're saying these things and it's really resonating with me where, um, this is going to be like a level 10, very heavy thing to say. Uh, but so when I was around like the age that we're talking about 10 and 11, um, my mom opened up to me and shared both she and my dad's uh, sexual assault survival stories. Mm.
3: Oh my God.
0: And yeah. And being 10 and having that shared with you. And then also your mom saying your dad doesn't know that I told you this. Wow. It's like you suddenly are brought really close down to earth where you're like, Oh shit. Okay. So you guys are functioning at a level where you've said you've never gotten help for this. You've opened Mm -hmm. up to me a lot about things that you struggled with. And so kind of piling onto that, I don't deserve help or needs. Now I have this perspective as a 10 year old that my mom and my dad are both in excruciating amounts of pain. Mm. And I think for me, it just made me kind of internally say like shut up Laura like you've got mm-hmm. not your issues are not the size of what they are dealing with right, right. now mm. it it was a uh, so yeah i mean i i absolutely ache for my parents experience um and i ache for the help that they never got right. and in turn it took me a very long time to accept I was a child of these two people. I am, um, I'm their kid, and I experienced some of the hardship of, um, not not seeking out mental health or someone helping you find it, and and having a bunch of kids, and you know, hoping that everybody's on the same page without clarifying what's going on.
1: Shit, that's and it's just that I mean, it is such a direct result of evangelical culture just yeah. telling everybody that jesus will fix their shit you 100%. know
3: mm-hmm. and it's
1: like i feel like so many of our parents sort of like had experiences where this sort of like spirituality and the positive message of christianity was like a good like a functioning band-aid you know mm-hmm. and yes and they yes. were like oh this band-aid is you know uh you know surgery and it fixed mm-hmm. me you know what i mean it's yeah. chemo and i'm i'm cured mm-hmm. now you know mm-hmm. but it's mm-hmm. and they and they were like and this band-aid will also work for you you know
3: yes 100 and then the,
1: the church sort of yeah they they just let that oh. church culture just like take over you know yeah
2: yeah we, we do need to take a break uh really quick but i, I do want to add one more thing before we go yeah okay? um i think it's appropriate to mourn the parents that we could have had if they would have had their shit together,
1: I absolutely. That's important. I think and, that's important work.
2: And and I think the, like the reverse side too is that you know we could become the par- the adults that we needed as a kid, right? That's a right. phrase that I live by. And part of that too is like in addition to mourning your parents that you could have had, you, uh, kind of giving your inner child some space and yeah, you know, letting them breathe a little bit, have uh, have some room. In fact, I want to talk about that when we get back after this. Um, what you're talking about not having room for yourself. Resonates so much with my with my home life, um, and we'll talk about that right when we get back after this. Okay, Chuck, are you ready? Have, we only have one shot. We got to make this work. Uh,
1: wait, you didn't just just, me just
2: read it, your lines. Um, I'll give you the paper. Okay, okay. okay.
1: Psst, are you guys ready? Are you ready? All right. Ah, oh, uh,
3: um, are you ready?
2: What the, what the hell? Where did, where did all this come from? <laughs> Deconstructing your faith it used to be lonely and boring as hell. Wait, wait, wait. But no one must wait. deconstruct their faith alone ever again. When you um, deconstruct
3: with friends,
2: um, Chuck, tell them what we mean. Um,
1: yeah, Go. that's that's right, Brady. Yeah. Uh, the life after has a. Uh, uh,
2: the hell Brady? Uh, I went full on Jamunji on this one but keep going he's a renter mm-hmm. by
1: the hour. The, the Life After podcast has a secret Facebook community <laughs> and Slack channel yeah. for people deconstructing <laughs> the, the uh, Christian fundamentalism and other oppressive religions. Uh, meet new people and, and, elephants. Uh, and deconstruct with, with friends.
2: friends. <laughs> nice job Chuck you even got the echo. Uh,
1: thanks. Uh, that was kind of cool I guess. Oh, God, he's touching me with his trunk.
2: Oh, you can apply for the secret group it's on, our fa- on our Facebook by answering three entrance questions. Your membership is hidden, and the admins keep the room
1: constructive and helpful. Now, can we get this elephant out of here?
2: Nope, probably not, but we can. Deconstruct
6: with friends! and Brady. This is Daphne Eck. Um, I'm 45 years old and I've dealt with body image issues probably since I was a teen. I grew up around a lot of dieting and my family and I think I just always assumed that was what women did. That's a woman's job is to be as small as possible and um it really all came to a head for me about three years ago, um, where I slipped into the worst of it. I moved from the Midwest to Portland, Oregon, with my husband, and it was a big change, and um, career-wise and just community-wise. And we'd left the church already, and so I was grieving that and really feeling unmoored and ungrounded. And so I thought my diet could be a good way for me to get back a sense of control and to make life better. Um, by eating skinny and so I joined this community-based program. It was very intense and it was based off of Food Addicts Anonymous um, food plan and um, it was very restrictive and I got really thin and I got obsessed with it. It just kind of started taking over my life and developed into an eating disorder but thankfully my body just started rejecting it. I was dealing with anxiety. I had panic attacks um and then i slipped into a really deep depression and um i just had to get some help so um my body knew better than i did and i'm really grateful so i've been working on this for the last couple of years now and i'm much freer
2: welcome back to the life after this is brady hardin uh Hey, I okay. What you said? I said before the break. Like some of the things you're talking about really relate with me. Number one, my Oprah was Rosie O'Donnell, and that was kind of the way that I checked to see how my mom was going to respond to gay. Because Mm -hmm. I realized kind of early that hey, there's something not right about these people, right? And then realizing, oh shit, I'm one of those fuckers, you know? So. (laughs) <laughs> that was like, that was a big thing. God Rosa, damn it! And I still like look up to Rosie O'Donnell because of that to this day. Absolutely. But in my family, you know, my my family shared with me that there was some physical abuse that happened. Showed pictures of it to me when I was a kid, and then witnessing it as as myself. And so seeing that stuff was like, holy shit! What am I supposed to do in this? In this? And so whenever my family finally yeah. got a divorce and went on, then my brother was in and out of jail stealing drugs, whatever, there was just never room for me and my shit, right? Yeah. I just never, there wasn't space.
3: Mm-hmm. So I
2: had to become smaller, right? Yes, mm-hmm. As mm-hmm. as the mm-hmm. needs of my family mm-hmm. got bigger, I had to get smaller and smaller and smaller. You are describing that exact same thing. On top of that, though, there was a physical element that was doing the exact same thing that you were feeling.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I... Yes, a hundred (laughs) percent. Um, when I was 11, my, my dad, um, had to get some emergency brain surgery and it, it was super traumatic. And it happened on like a vacation that my mom and my dad were on and, um, flew back to Kansas city, got the surgery. And basically he had like, he had a cyst of strep throat, like what forms in your throat, his formed in his mouth and traveled to his brain, and formed Whoa. his cyst. It was ridiculous. So
1: that's intense.
0: It was a, yeah, size of a softball, um, and yeah, on his frontal lobe, and it was wild. So um, after that, um, he he was in ICU for about six weeks, and then had like an in-home nurse for nine weeks, and in that span of time lost his job. We lost our house. And my mom was trying to keep it all together. And Mm -hmm. she had, gosh, she had four kids at that time. And the youngest was two. Um, Oldest was 12. And then, yeah. So I, watching my mom go through this Mm. sheer panic of, losing the civility that she had in her life, which was my dad um, and my dad providing for her family and her home. And my response to it was to freak out on the inside and not freak out on the outside. Mm
3: -hmm. Because
0: if if I freaked out on the outside, who was going to be there? Mm -hmm. Like there's no, there's no one there that has in the past shown me that that's okay. And then now it was like, well, One of my parents who has fully recovered, but at the time was like a vegetable and didn't have numbers or words or memories. And so we didn't really know what was going to happen with him. Um, but yeah, uh, over the course of 11 years old to 14, I, um, I never know how to put the right words for this. I, I developed extreme anorexia and, um, and it it was, it almost took my life. And so throughout those years of physically shrinking, um, it was kind of a compounded message that you may be going through something traumatic and even though we can see this happening to you, there's really not enough room here to ask mm. you what's going on, um, or to get you help. And so, yeah, that was like that was I would say one of like the, the hardest things I've ever been through in my life. Mm. So
2: And having experienced y- that without help. Shit.
1: I mean right. I, I mean, I'm here I'm listening to you and I'm I'm hearing like you had, like, I mean, in addition to just, like, not, like, knowing that there wouldn't be a helpful response to your, you know, crying for help, mm-hmm. I'm hearing that, like, you had a need that was outside of your expected needs, right? Like, yeah. And you knew uh-huh. that that wasn't going to be met because it wasn't the norm for that to be met, Right. Right. And, right, absolutely. And that is that's just like a testament to the importance of understanding that every person has different needs, right? Mm. That it is not okay to standardize needs, which I feel right. like is something that the church wants to do really yeah. bad. You know, like e- like even more progressive churches that have like programs for people that are struggling with different mental health issues, they still mm-hmm. try to th- they still try to get them into a box yeah a boxy explanation, you know, and what they actually personally need might be something that is outside of the scope of hmm. what the church okay. is willing to offer because That's what, what yeah. the church is willing to offer is outside of what the Bible approves of or or whatever or right, the culture right, approves right. Of, approves right. of right,
0: well, I felt like with the so by the time I was fourteen and I was in very deep stages of anorexia, I had stopped going to church um. But a part of that was because when I did go, if people approached me um, and approached me kind of like inorganically, like these people would never approach me in general, but just out of curiosity, that would happen to me a lot is people would be curious because I looked so different. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mom would answer and say, She's totally fine. She's totally fine. She's just going through a phase right now. Mm. And um mm. and it was terrifying. And the thing that I realize is that um you know, talking about struggle in the church and talking about something that just feels very like um abstract has it doesn't really in the church that I went to didn't really go deeper than that. It was like, if God can't fix it or if Jesus can't fix it, that's your fault
3: Mm. because
0: you're not trusting him to take this away from you or you're Mm. not loving God enough. Um, you're too focused on yourself and a lot of times it was brought up to me that people turned it into my, um, self image, like body image. And for me personally, it was not about that at all. Mm -hmm. Um, It was control. You know, Mm -hmm. I felt Mm -hmm. like my world was out of control. And so Mm
3: -hmm. this
0: is something that hopefully won't affect anybody else in my family. You know, I could keep it really quiet. Um, And it still made me feel like I could regulate myself in some way by taking control of what I consumed so um
1: there's there's like a there's a distinction there that i kind of want to make that is like both of these things are are awful but there's like two degrees of it right there's like jesus is the answer to all of your problems right and that's like one level of dangerous because it's not true but then Mm -hmm. there's like you have problems because you don't trust jesus enough Mm -hmm. which is like almost a totally it's like a different level of like It's shaming a person for not trusting Jesus rather than just offering the explanation.
2: And one other level, too, but it may not be in play here as much as here are things that aren't really a problem but are a problem now because Jesus says it's a problem.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, Laura, was there a a degree to which—I mean, like, anorexia is such a confusing disease, and it's so— sneaky and it's so you know it's it's manipulative and it, it, i think people don't really understand the the ways the sort of like mental gymnastics that you do to justify it right, D- right. was there a degree to which you internalized like your mom saying oh is this just a phase you know And is, was there, how did you, how did you justify, actually, I'll expand that a little bit. How did you justify it? And then also, how did you maintain it? Like, what was, if you don't mind me asking, like, what was your practice? How did you like, look like you were eating, but not eating and and things like that that you have to do to get away with it?
0: That's, that's a really interesting question. I, there was some part of it that going back to defiance it was something that went against the role that I was trained to do, which was cooking and being mm. focused on food and having a complete disconnect from that and and kind of shedding that part of my identity and being like, I don't want anything to do with this. Mm. Like, wow. I am more than this. I don't need to focus on this. I don't want to touch it. I don't want to look at it. I'm not going to help anymore. I'm not my brother's mom. I'm not an adult at that time. And it, um it was super interesting with your second question. I want to be really careful because a lot of people that are going through eating disorders. I remember this for myself. That's that's why I'm sharing it is that I would always look for tips
3: mm-hmm. and I would mm-hmm. always
0: look for like how do I how do I how do I do it? You know, how can I make this happen? Absolutely. But I will share like um, being homeschooled was the nightmare cocktail while struggling with an eating disorder because you don't leave your house. Mm -hmm. And when you live, we kind of lived out in the country. And um, the only people that saw me were the people like I, I worked as a nanny, like almost full time since I was 12. And so those are the only people that saw me and they really didn't know me really deeply, but I, um, you wear a ton of layers, you know, Mm. um, because you are losing so much of what insulates your body to keep you regulated and warm. And, um, but at that time, by that time when I was at my worst, like, probably 60% of my hair was gone. Mm, And it it was, it was my, this is like level 10 deep into anorexia, but my teeth were eroding, like Mm. my gums were eroding. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I think having, living in a family that really wasn't comfortable speaking up and asking like, Hey, what's going on? Or, You know, do you want to talk about what's going on? I really didn't have any tricks or things that I had to be sneaky about because no matter what I did, it really it was too much to bring attention to. Right. Um. Lara's doing this, and a lot of like the terms "you're selfish" came into play. Mm. And um, my dad one time told me he was like, um having depression is the most selfish thing that you could do because what it means is that Jesus. you're thinking of yourself and you're not thinking of anyone else.
1: Wow. Wow. Yeah.
2: Wow! I viscerally felt Jesus you God. saying that. Fuck. God.
0: Yeah. And <sighs> I don't know if anybody else has like brought this up, but in the Midwest, at least when I was, um, in like the high school age range, there were like correctional facilities and camps that were Christian based. <clears throat> that you could send your kids to to oh, like, get Jesus them. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So it was like a militaristic type of Christian. Wow. King. So that was threatened upon me if I didn't get so my act. I
2: called Ricky Lake whenever she would send those bad kids. to oh, so so the but it, was like Christ, Christ. it was like the Lord's army. Yo, Jesus yeah. Jesus Christ. Oh my God. Awful. Can you imagine how annoying those marches so would be?
1: I'm thinking yeah. about yeah. a couple of things here. So like, first of all, I feel like it goes without saying, but like shaming people for having mental health God. issues is like the worst, the oh literally the least helpful thing you can do. And then so, and then subsequently punishing people for it is that is even less right. helpful. Right. right. Hard stop. Right. <laughs> yeah. But like, I'm thinking yeah. about like, when you're talking about this, I'm thinking about a a girl that was in my youth group when I was a youth pastor and that was clearly struggling with some kind of eating disorder. And it was like, uh, like we everybody talked about it, but nobody was willing to like really step out and say, you know, yeah. like that's yeah. what it is. And the reason that nobody could say what it was was because once you acknowledged it, you had to do something about it and nobody yeah. knew what the fuck to do about it. Right. Exactly. And it was because mental health resources is not a part of church culture it's just not no. you just don't have you don't think let's find them a counselor you don't think what organizations deal with eating disorders we don't think what yeah. books can we give you that, that that explain eating disorders and like help you yeah. through it we didn't think like how can we have a conversation with her that will I'll give her space to open up about it
4: yeah. and
1: it's just like It's so fucking broken, you know, and it's just like, why are you offering to help people Mm. if you just fucking can't, you know, and I mean, I say that as somebody that is guilty of that, you know, like I was there, I was watching this person like deteriorate and not doing anything about it, you know, Mm. and it's just like, fuck, like, can we just erase it, you know, yeah.
0: Right, (laughs) right. I think it just came to mind when you were describing it, like I can't imagine what that would have been like as like a leader person yeah. in the church. Yeah. And um, I feel like something that I've thought about is in my experience in the Christian church, a lot of the power that comes with leadership is having like this hundred uh, percent. This, if it's true or not, you're very, you come with a lot of confidence of your knowledge of the Bible and mm-hmm. something that's been put into your brain for maybe not very many years, but a lot of times many years. And when it comes to something that we're not familiar with, maybe we can't come at it with that amount of confidence and self-righteousness to be like, here's the answer. It's wow. a recipe. It's one, two, three, because if you're doubting, that's not really something that Christians are openly free to do to an extent. And I know at the church that I attended, it was like they would consistently say, explore your faith or push the boundaries or do something like that. But they really meant like within this very small parameter. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: We, you know? we get that a lot with like, oh, you're wrestling with God. No, oh you're God. questioning if He's yeah. even real. You can't presuppose yeah. what I'm questioning. Call, it, you know.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, yeah, I, totally. I get that. But the other thing too is, the church is not comfortable with licensed therapy. Like that's why that's
6: is that
2: because they know that you will learn, you will learn the tools that can yes. unravel the yes. shit, right? So, yes. and I don't think anybody is like consciously saying that, but they know, but they. Their fears are doing the same thing as would happen yeah. if somebody conscious, you know what I mean? Like it's, yes. it's perpetu it's the, it's perpetuating the same shit, yeah. but people are scared of it because it, it, it's finding a huge life-changing rapturous, you know, uh, conversion experience of your brain when you learn yeah. something and they can't attribute it to the Bible. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You yes, know, yes,
2: and yes, and, yes. and I sure. think Just that so creates right. an attitude. and so it wasn't until I finally stepped out into that, that things Made sense to me, and I was mm-hmm. able to get out. So I'm, I'm the reason, I guess, that people are, you know, shouldn't do church if you're in church. you know, do right. I have the right. I up, mean, up.
1: I'm absolutely, absolutely 100. Like, probably, <laughs> if gosh. I had to contribute, I would say 40 or 50 percent of my deconversion thought process was realizing that basic psychology that I learned helped me more in six months than. Yes. Prayer yes. and Christianity mm-hmm. helped me in literally. fucking 20, yes. literally 23, 24 years.
2: Why, where did you finally get help though? Did your church ever acknowledge what was going on? Did you get help from any of them? What kind of got you to where you are today?
0: So, <laughs> people in the church for the most part completely disregarded what I was going through and didn't have the tools to approach me in a way that would have been beneficial or life-saving for me. And it, there was a moment with a youth pastor of mine that basically sat me down, pulled me aside. I assumed most of the context that he had about me was something that my mom had shared with him. Um, and so knowing that they were friends um, and that they communicated often and my brothers went to the youth group I went to, when I was, like, brought to the side and sat down to have a talk, um, he was sharing with me that if I had a greater faith, that that would would essentially be what would help me get through this and see the
3: clarity.
6: Yeah.
1: And it's, I mean, like, okay, so my immediate response to that is that it's, like, the absolute absolute opposite is true because, like, you were rebelling against... It's it's like this whole conversation is coming full circle, right? But it's like you were rebelling against the idea of what a woman should be in church, right. and attempting to regain your your independence by doing the only thing that you could do to feel like you were in control of your own destiny, right? Your own like Literally. life, yeah. And yeah. so it was like the exact opposite. Like if anything, you needed less faith. Less Jesus, less fucking patriarchy, less fucking gender roles.
6: Yeah. And that's
0: so right. Like, and with you mentioning like the patriarchy, it was, it was such a crazy idea and reality for me that whenever anyone felt like they were going to give me advice, it came from a man. Mm. And that really, I haven't really thought too much of like how that feels or how Mm. that felt at the time. But, um, ultimately what ended up happening, and it's so surreal to think about it was it was someone that I nannied for that went to my parents' church that, um, was driving me back home from a nannying job that I was doing for her. And she so kindly handed me this pamphlet (gasps) And she just said, hey, I struggle with anxiety sometimes, and I don't know if that's what you're going through right now, but this is a place that really helped me. And I will tell you, and I've talked to my therapist about this, and it was like a light bulb moment. The moment that person saw me, and right after, the week after, I had to go to a, get a doctor's like exam before I could go to therapy because I was 14 – and when he told me I had 28 days to live, it took just those two people to see me and see Shit. my need. And I said, you know what? I I'm I want to get better. Like mm. I had never felt seen by people that looked at what I was going through and said, you have value in some way to us and we want you to live. We want you to have the life that you want. I had never felt that my entire life. Mm. And and that day I, uh, I tried to eat again and that did not go well. Like when you, when you don't allow your body to have food for an extended period of time, when you try to eat, it doesn't accept it. And so, um, I was in that doctor's appointment with my mom. He said, here's what's happening, Laura, your organs are starting to shut down one by one. And your bones are deteriorating. Your hair is going, obviously your teeth are going, you have 28 days max. And so you have a decision and he was so nice about it. And he was like, you can get yourself help and live and you will live and you'll be, you're going to, you're going to get through this or we can keep going down this path and we're going to need to go to the hospital, you know, um, and do a Mm. feeding tube. And, uh, and my mom you know stood there silently and uh and i said you know what i think i can do this i think i i don't want to get a tube um i i think i can eat and um and i felt like i had woken up from a dream mm-hmm. because i just never it made me cry like i had never been felt seen in that way that made me feel like someone had enough time in their day to see me and they had enough energy to give that they could tell me that they cared that I lived or I died. And so I started going to therapy and, um, like I don't want to say ironically, but oddly enough, my therapist went to my parents' church and even though she claimed to be a Christian and she ran Mm a Christian practice, she didn't incorporate that in a way that was detrimental to my my work that I did with her. Um, Mm -hmm. and we essentially established this idea of like, look, you didn't get the parents that you needed. And that doesn't mean that you cannot totally win at life. And you have, I think when you decide to essentially raise yourself in a lot of emotional ways from a very early age on, you're kind of, I was prepared to accept that, um, I don't need to keep searching for my parents to be the people that give me that type of love or or help me find the parts that were missing from my childhood. Um, and I think once I allowed myself to stop running for that reality and running for the parents that I really wanted, it freed me to keep living and, and keep growing um, throughout my life. Shit, so that's beautiful. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> what you're well, saying man. about just not being seen. I, I fuck. I mean you're you're around people who are claiming to be inspired by God and have loving kindness and everything, but it took that long mm-hmm. to finally be seen.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, and the thing I mean, like frankly, I don't I don't know if I've ever cried well I- <laughs> I'm while Are we're recording, I this, cried just a I'm little. I'm a little, I'm a little. I <sighs> need blinking a lot. That's all.
6: Yeah. I, I, <laughs> like I had four,
1: four <sighs> tears. Literally, it's it's yeah. in something in my eye. Like like you said, no. Just
2: grow a parent cry. To Chuck. me
1: though, like oh no, I cry, I cry. I cry constantly. No, we right. know, I'm we a know. millennial. <laughs> 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 I have reasons to cry every day, and I take them. I love it. No. Relatable. Um, the thing to me that stood out was just like how okay is there a more poignant example of how broken the biblical idea of mental health is when which is basically non-existent. Yeah. That it all it took was like 10 minutes with one person for you to yes. start to heal. Yes, yes, right? yes. It's it wasn't difficult. It was no. not difficult. Mm-hmm. You just acknowledge the problem. Mm-hmm. offer an explanation for it say you're going to be okay and mm-hmm. make a person feel like you said make a person, person feel seen, seen is yes. like
3: mm-hmm.
2: it's yeah.
1: so simple and it's just like such a testament to like how dysfunctional how how Christian <sighs> mental health just doesn't work how Jesus as an explanation mm. just fucking does not work no
2: well, it doesn't. All three of us have had those experiences, though. I mean, you've mentioned it on the show with counseling, with um, with your sexual addictions, everything. You have one thing, you understand it, and it's clear. For me, it was walking into a room, and and he gave me a book on spiritual abuse. And I learned the word empathy for the first time outside of a, a theological context from Hebrews where it says that the high priest sympathizes. With, he doesn't do shit. Sure. That is not empathy. That's bullshit. I was taught yeah. empathy— after I left the church And mm-hmm. when we have those moments And I had other moments with uh, Brene Brown Where it's like oh fuck oh, my this God. Makes, oh Girl this makes sense a lot more than the gospel um, yeah. We have those moments and they just switch Because we finally are on reality It's
1: like it's so obvious That this is a better way That you're just like fuck it I'm in
3: Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah.
1: We're going to take a break When we get back we're going to talk about uh, What Laura's up to now And, and how she uh, started to heal from that Ridiculous.
2: Bullshit. Bullshit. We'll be right back after this. <laughs>
5: 200 pounds in the sixth grade and growing up evangelical i was often told that i had such a pretty face but sweetie you won't find a husband until you lose weight especially in southern california in 1980 something my whole family was overweight in my house food was love hugs were not love kind words were not love I remember once wrapping a towel around myself, a beach towel, of course, to walk to my room after a shower when I was in junior high. A family member pulled the towel off in front of the whole family and they pointed and laughed. I got married at 19 to a much older man who always knew he would find a fat woman to marry. And hey, I had a pretty face, right? And then the abuse started and my face wasn't so pretty anymore. When I went to my family for help, I learned that God hates divorce. But if I did my part, lose weight, the abuse would stop. My husband eventually got a skinny girl pregnant and left. Again, my fault. I wasn't even old enough to drink yet. Needless to say, after three divorces, two kids, and gastric sleeve surgery, here I am. Skinnier than I was in the sixth grade, thinking God hates me because the goddamn number on the scale says so. Well, fuck that shit to a hell that doesn't even exist.
1: Welcome back to The Life After. I'm Chuck Parson here with Brady Harden and Laura, our guest. Um, Laura, uh, you, you've you had some really— okay, so. You, you sort of have a unique experience uh, experience with sexism, misogyny um, in the church, what the effects of that can be, what the effects of putting women in, in roles that, that they just naturally don't fit into, uh, but sort of like presupposing that this is just how it works, right? Um, like Sweeney Todd? Yes. <laughs> you put women in roles. God damn Wow. Wow. That was good. Man, we got role jokes. We got to roll jokes oh, all day. Course, rolls. rolls, on, rolls on, rolls. Woo. Right. Um. So, yeah. Yeah, but uh, so, talk to, talk to me a little bit about how about the 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 ways that you have observed personally, because your experience is unique, that uh, the church manipulates women into into like sort of trying to fit these roles, even if they don't really want to, right? I mean, is that yeah. is that a fair way to ask that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that my brain just goes to a million different places when I'm thinking about this because I can think about what it was like when I was in elementary and middle school and high school, and then I can think of like how it is now as as an adult woman interacting with women that are still a part of Christian churches. Mm-hmm. And I feel I can't remember if it was one on one of your past episodes or if I heard it somewhere else, but there's this term that's called learned helplessness Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's essentially like what I, what I gained from learning about this or hearing about this is, um, is almost brainwashing women into thinking that their value lies between a certain spectrum of, um, how they look or a role that would make them the best form of who they are, or if they, or if they choose one of these options, this is this is like these are the few options that you can um, choose from to be like an actual woman that is worthy of being chosen by mm. one person. <laughs> right. And and I think growing up with that, going back to the types of TV shows and movies that I love watching, were very um, were very. The woman was the champion and the strong person and the wise person and the strength amongst the people. That was the mentality that I went into uh into church experiences with. And so from way back then till now, that overemphasizing of purity and marriage and choosing one person and the pressure to do that. I feel like you are creating this mentality among women that um, let's say you pick the one person that God chose for you, that person that you chose at whatever age, let's just say 18 or 19. And you have adults around you that are influencing you to marry this person, whether it's they're claiming that the Lord is speaking to them or that a name was brought to them or your friends or your youth pastors Mm. or pastors are saying, yes, like that was what my church was full of, were people that were very encouraging of relationships of a certain type. Okay. And so like if you get into that relationship, and this is what I'm experiencing now as as an adult surrounded by many Um, many Christian women is that surprise and very, I'm not saying this lightly. Some people marry abusive people. Mm -hmm. Some people marry abusive people that they met in church.
3: Mm -hmm. And so
0: when they were encouraged that this person is the person and they, going back to like learned helplessness, they're still functioning in this mentality that they almost don't deserve being with this person. They don't deserve being chosen by this man. <clears> so they're, <throat> they're kind of trapped. Like I, I, that was kind of an abstract way to answer that. No, but that's,
1: that's a great, that's a really good answer. Continue. Sorry.
0: No, I mean, it's just, it's hard to, it's hard to feel as a woman talking to women that are, either aware that they're in, a, in an abusive relationship or maybe they are not aware and they're just very used to being treated like shit and being mm-hmm. talked down to and given the role of taking care of the kids solely or doing all of the housework solely. And they don't realize like, this is a learned, this shit. is a learned role. Mm-hmm. That's where my, my brain just like sets a flame because I I talk to my husband about this a lot but it's almost like the group of people that we grew up around were trained to it's like an epidemic of creating vulnerable women that stop their careers and they don't know how to now I'm not saying everybody but there are a handful of specific people in our lives that were greatly affected by abusive spouses um and when you yeah. pair that with them not having career experience for the years that they thought they were going to be a mom yes. and they wanted to be a mom. Yes. And that's what they, that's what they essentially yes. emotionally bought into was mm. a promise. Mm. Mm-hmm. And now they're left with like, some are not, don't feel like they can leave a bad situation. And that like kills me. Mm. That literally kills me.
6: Um,
2: one of our <laughs> listeners who called in mentions the same thing in her story of that there was abuse and she divorce was not an option, no. and he was abusive because she was gaining weight or didn't look the way that he wanted. So her options were: do I lose the weight and stop getting beat? Right, and so putting, a, expecting a woman to have to go into that fucking position. Oh my gosh! Because we live in a society that's such an inch away from Gilead at times, you know, Um, because you're mentioning of how we've kind of make these roles and then we, expect those roles so we push people into those roles a lot of the things you're saying like there's so many weird parallels of listening to you explain your anorexia and what it was like to be gay um in the church of like how there was a we can't talk about it thing there, there's all of this and there's the shame that creates out of it and i feel like i was on the trajectory of being a great aunt lydia um, yes. Against my own people of like, I was on the drive here. I was thinking because, you know, we've hit all this shit about conversion therapy at Bethel mm-hmm. Reading and whatever. I'm thinking to myself, honestly, if I had not experienced the spiritual abuse that pushed me to question, I probably would be a some into conversion therapy bullshit thing because mm-hmm. that was such a passionate thing in my life that I, you know, was overcoming that and all of that, but no, it was just the same shit yeah. where we're not taking care of it. We're, we're right. just pushing it aside. We're repressing it. Bullshit. Right.
0: Oh, and like, this is, this is, I almost said neither here nor there, but it truly is important. And it's something that stuck with me is that throughout my entire experience with church, like the leaders were men. And whenever a woman got the opportunity to speak, it was like, I really hope people listening to this can relate to this is when a woman got a chance to speak on stage in the churches that I attended, it was like the pastor was paving the way for his wife to get a chance to yank that microphone out of his hand. And then kind of like, like pretend she was part in the room and say, listen up ladies, I've got some tips for you. Oh, so, <laughs> those guys can take a little break. Do you know what I mean? Ugh. It's like, it's like like the realistic. pastor
1: is sitting there like mouthing the yes. word she's saying. Yes. You know?
0: Yeah. And he's like, Oh, so fill my pockets. Let's speak to the ladies. Oh, Let's
1: try oh,
0: and oh, oh. that type Doesn't of Dr.
2: Phil's wife do this every once in a while.
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's very similar to that. It yeah. like, it's it's just like in that moment, subconsciously, you are telling women, "Okay, he's the head honcho, so like he's who you listen to a hundred percent of the time. I'm just a lady, so dudes, you can plug your ears or talk to your neighbor, but like right. this, is just you won't listen to what I'm saying. So I'm just gonna be talking to the lady folk." And I just remember those moments in church, sitting there cringing, yeah, because I just wanted to be like why are we creating this hierarchy of men being the only people that have agency and voice and mm-hmm. leadership opportunities and then on a whim you know we'll get like i don't even know how I to compare i don't think them.
1: people that didn't grow up in church understand how like the <laughs> there is like the cre- the culture Of patriarchy is so prominent in church that it gets to the point where you don't, like it sounds, what you're describing sounds like it would take a lot of work, right? But you get to the point where women are perpetuating it just as much as men are. Right, where women are mm. literally holding each other back. I wouldn't say just as much, but okay, maybe saying. not. Maybe not just as. Okay. I I don't know, man. Like I mean, like I there are those pure those fucking purity groups, and that that those fucking like anytime the youth group got split or something, like the shit that women would talk about in there, and it's yeah. and it's well, slut shamey and but it's I'm fucking.
2: Because, well, I, I guess I'm taking them off a hook a little bit because I'm if, not saying it's it not was, men's
1: fault initially okay right? okay okay definitely so I, not i guess that. i
2: give a little bit right. extra of like because they started i, I do need to be careful and, okay, how okay. i say right. that but it's okay. like
1: but it's it's just it's to the point where I don't the women the that echo are, as the much women as the that voice. are elevated in the culture are the women that agree with that presupposition right so the culture okay. the cult the, the 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 culture of women that is created in a lot of churches is one of like inward hostility and definitely like perpetuating the roles like that, i was homophobic like you are exactly like you are homophobic. Right. I'm not. I'm not saying that. I'm not blaming women for the problem. No, I'm, I'm tracking. Right. Yeah,
0: yeah. I feel like I, I. I know what you're saying. Like as a woman that grew up in the church, whenever we did divert into splitting the room by gender, it was like, oh god, <laughs> it was like the 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 lessons that you're being taught ultimately come from. In my situation, I just want to be really clear, like it's coming from male leadership Mm. and then it trickles down into what women feel like they have to be to stand in good favor with this man so that they could either, you know, be, be not held as an equal, but be held as a respectable, you know, I distinctly remember one of my like clearest memories of my mom's experience with church where she would come home and just talk shit on all of the women there.
2: Oh god, yes, okay. Mm, and mm-hmm. it
0: stressed me out. I was like then why the f do you go? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, yeah, right. Because right. it's almost like they're hating on it's 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 crazy. I I don't it's it's so overwhelming um to even like dive into that but um, I do think that it's a vicious cycle that starts from the top and then trickles down to people that think they have to abide and agree and comply. Well,
1: in you know order what it be- is? You know what they're, it's, they're holding your voice hostage, right? It's like, oh, yeah. you don't like you, Laura did not have a voice in that church because you didn't agree with the presupposition right. that you were a second class human being. Right. So, if, right. but if you wanted to have one, you would have to play okay. the role right 100%. if you wanted to speak up in youth group and and be listened to you yeah. had to play yeah. that role and it's yeah. like that is how they hide it they hold your voice hostage and then they they make you fit it <laughs> or you're an outcast
2: and it's exactly mm-hmm. how you described your family right like that you yeah. were given that thing and any time that you didn't fit that role it was looked at as
0: yeah
1: what
2: word do we use I forgot it
1: uh, uh, sorry i zoned out for a second <laughs> <laughs> which is
2: describing her family and you were talking about how it, you were supposed to fit a role and any anytime that you didn't you were looked at as being disobedient or uh, yeah or whatever you weren't fitting you were defiant, oh, defiant, defiant was, dying, was defiant. the word yeah yeah yeah
1: for sure yeah shit
0: okay. i remember one of my like like bible study leaders that my mom had me go to this like girls that was the other thing for me is growing up with all brothers I very much I hung out with guys all the time and so whenever things were divided into girls and boys I was just it just blew my mind because I never hung out with girls Mm -hmm. but when I did go to these like bible studies that were with all females um I had one one leader who had the guts to talk to us about um, abortion and having a choice and letting us know that if we wanted to, we had the choice, it was our bodies. And I went home to my mom and I said, Oh my gosh, guess what? My Bible, I knew what I was doing.
3: Uh I I didn't Uh
0: didn't know what was going to come after and it was really bad, but I said, she talked to us about, like abortion and that we have a choice and that our bodies are ours and that's that was like something that I had been really interested in because of Oprah. Because of Oprah. <laughs> Thank you, Oprah. And my mom proceeded to have her removed from the church. Whoa.
1: Yeah. I mean that surprises me so zero, that- but like I'm. Oh still-
2: whoa, whoa 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 Now your family takes action. What the yeah, fuck? Yeah, right? Yeah
1: right. Now you got now they now they have, have it <sighs> now they have energy. to deal deal with things
0: they're giving me a voice and they're encouraging me to like have differing beliefs and that's a threat if you're trying to maintain right a unit of solidarity (laughs) which sounds so scary (sighs) sounds really creepy but yeah i mean she changed my life from that one instant of having a voice and being like guess what it's worth it is your body it is your choice so
2: i like this Mm. woman Man
1: that's just you know was... that just shows how how dangerous and infectious the devil is because <laughs> it just took that one it just took that one time Okay right it just took that one time
2: Well let's talk about influence for a second you know we talked about how fast therapy is and <laughs> Right, And we talk about like, I remember growing up in church, uh, we were Southern Baptists and there was a charismatic friend. She invited me to the church and people were warning Uh me not to take. So I remember like, okay, I'm going to church how many different hours a day or a week? And I'm supposed to be on the team that has the most supernatural real power to it. Why can it be turned over with five minutes of listening to us?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's the power of the devil. That's what I'm saying. Right. I'm obviously being sarcastic. So.
6: A (laughs) hundred percent.
1: So Laura, that's all. I mean, like, let's just all take a deep breath because I feel like fucking (sighs) church and patriarchy. (sighs) Too much. No. So you, you are, you are not a, uh, you don't strike me as a particularly oppressed, uh, gender rolled woman at this point in your life. Not at all. How, how did you start that journey of, of becoming your own person? And, uh, oh and and what would you say to uh, our audience that is, you know, working on it? Advice trying to figure
2: hungry, it out. Our advice hungry
0: wow. audience. I feel like I could share a million things. Yeah. What I can speak to clearly and is just my own experience, which in no way says this is for everybody. Mm-hmm. But I, when I started going to therapy, um, I really picked apart all of the different facets of what silenced me. And so much of it was fear. Mm. And so much of that fear was like, will I be rejected? Will I be told that I'm a failure? Will I be told that, um, you know, I'm, I'm worthless. And when I realized that I had all of the power within me to define all of those answers, Like, it didn't really matter what other people perceived me as. Mm. And um, as an adult, and I still go to therapy, I've gone to therapy from 14 years old until I'm 30 years old now. And it's the best investment of time and energy and resources that I have ever put into my life. Um, Mm. Realizing that other people's narrative about your worth and your value is yours to define like the value of what their perception of who you are. You get to define that. I call it like when I've talked about it with other people, I just say you get to determine whether or not that that is any currency or not to you. Mm. So like, um, for example, like growing up in a family where I was told that I was selfish and evil and, and, Like spiteful to my parents, which I was not any of those things. For so many years, I thought, oh my gosh, am I? Like, am I evil? Am I turning all my brothers into the same type of person as I am? Mm. Am I never going to be a person that anyone would be want to be a partner with? And when I realized, oh my God, no. And and when did I ever give these people power to define who I am and what I can do yeah. with my life? Yeah, um, I kind of applied that to everyone in my life, and whether it was someone that hurt me deeply or someone that I was, you know, just meeting, learning those boundaries of being like, I don't have to give this person all of me. And I also don't have to take this person's perception of me as my truth. It's theirs to determine. Wow. Um, it's really strengthening and it really just makes you feel like, wow, if I can walk my life with the strength and reality of who I know I am, with the ability that I know I have, um, you feel pretty unstoppable mm. and fearless. I, I felt that after I came to that realization and grew with that throughout the years. But, um, now I just have like this feeling inside me that I really want to be an ally to those people that feel like they are still oppressed by someone else's negative narrative of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. They're, they're walking around with someone else's reality. Right. as like, right. They're defining, um, narrative. Hmm.
1: God, it's so good. That is awesome. We can't <laughs> uh, great. We can't
2: Thanks. thank you enough for sharing your story with us. Like, holy shit. Yeah. I, I know we want to provide mental health resources. Um if, yeah. uh at the end of the episode. Um, look at the show notes. We we have a few different options for you. Uh, but we always want to recommend that it was licensed therapy. Um if you do feel that your mental health is at risk, please call nine one one um and other than that long term we cannot recommend licensed therapy enough did i say that already yep. today?
1: oh we said it okay. say it again
2: uh licensed therapy do it yeah yes
6: <laughs>
1: <laughs> absolutely well you know what else you should do what uh like and subscribe
6: <laughs> uh, this is good all right keep going yeah 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 yes.
1: let's uh, should, uh yeah. like review subscribe yeah uh uh, on whatever f- uh, format you're, you you uh, listen to this podcast on, mm-hmm. including we're iTunes. everywhere. We're everywhere. We're everywhere, man. Spotify, uh, Podbean, Heart, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Radio. I Heart, <laughs> I Heart Radio. Are we on iHeart Radio?
2: XMMF, <laughs> the Howard Stern X, station. The Howard
1: Stern. Yeah, podcast yeah. network
2: HBO Radio. Uh,
1: we're gonna get Thank sued.
2: <laughs> None of these are real.
1: None of these are real. <laughs> um, we also have a a uh, thriving online community on Facebook and also on uh, I almost on said Slack Stitcher ch- Slack channel. But well, we are on Stitcher uh, Slack God, channel. So bad. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, it's actually it's fine. It's perfect. It's about as good as any of our broadcasting. So. <laughs>
2: Laura, we thank you so much. Uh, we have a little saying on this show. Uh, I don't know if you know oh. it. It is, uh, it's if, if you don't go to church Sunday, Sunday is just, just a Sunday. another
0: Saturday. <laughs>
2: <laughs> second
1: Saturday, yes. close enough. You got it. Yeah.
2: Thank you so much. We love you all. Take care of yourselves. And there will be a fun conversation with Laura on our Patreon. Yeah. For, for Patreon. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. <laughs>
0: Bye-bye.
2: Whoop. Bye. Let me for you
1: <laughs> Fuck being in the middle. I am no Malcolm. I ain't no Martin, more like by Spartans, kicked out the garden, back to back, stab at God, and ask for his pardon? My mind trying to break out the margins, writing reflections on loose leaf, listen hard, my jargon is Darwin, inciting infections of unbelief, like what in the hell is a spiritual walk? But meditating on TED Talks, elevating events that are non-stop, circulating your views in a closed crop, verses up like a chop shop, with copies and signs like a bookshop, pasted in like Bibles on backdrops, feeling bad for shit on your laptop, it's a bad prop for holding beliefs. In a sad book relieving your grief In an outlook that promises peace With a bait hook that doesn't release I was caught on the line of repression Asking myself the same question Over and over and over